0: Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. Good morning. I just wanted to read uh, real fast before I get started here out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, starting at verse 26, Paul's giving instructions on like how they do church. you know, In the, in the uh, early church in the New Testament, it says, what shall we say then, brothers and sisters would be included? It says, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. It says, all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Uh, so I wanted to share that because that's what you experienced uh, this morning is we'll oftentimes have individuals come up if like they have a prophetic word or uh, a word of encouragement, a word of instruction or whatever for the church and uh, this morning I knew that Pastor Vicki was on prayer after worship, and I don't know, I don't know that my time as a lead pastor, I've asked somebody else to host that portion of it, but I felt like, hey, she could do it, she's able to do it, let's go ahead. So I, I just asked her to come up, uh, share just a, an overview of what Chris had said that the word was about, and she whips open her Bible, she's like, the Lord just gave this to me you know, <laughs> during worship. So that's like a lot more fun uh, to have two people that aren't talking, that aren't planning anything for the Lord to orchestrate both of those words about the shaking and then the strong tower, the, the hiding place and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so what you saw today was an operation of gifts, nothing that was planned, put together, orchestrated. It wasn't like they checked out my sermon notes first and then, <laughs> and then uh, released a word or anything, but uh, somebody came you know, with an instruction, a revelation, the word of God and so on. So that's good stuff, amen? Amen. So I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm a pastor. Yes, Yes, I am. (laughs) And most times in those areas uh, of my life, the Lord uh, will give me um, ideas and vision and plans and things that I want to see happen uh, in the future, Uh, things that I can get excited about, things that I can pray about, things you can, you know, tie scriptures into and so on. Uh, And this season was a little bit different. It was actually a lot different. Uh, I don't know if it was in November or December leading up to the new year. Um, My wife and I were just talking about, she was just asking what, you know, what big vision and plans that I, you know, that I had for the church and so on and what things I'm excited for for the next year and maybe for the first time uh, in our marriage. I didn't have anything. (laughs) Y'all are laughing. I wasn't funny back then, (laughs) though. And usually, like it's like I, I have a sense of where we're going. I can sense of you know what's happening and uh, where what the Lord wants to do and, and just excited you know excited about about you know the next direction and so on. And I didn't have anything. And after that conversation, uh, I was in another conversation. I forget if it was with pastors or if it was just with a, a few friends. It was. I think there were some pastors there, and they were like, uh, just asking. So what what's your big idea? What's your big dream? You know, uh, uh, for uh, for next year. And everybody was sharing around the table, and I'm like, I, I really, I really don't, I really don't have anything. So then I started getting nervous. <laughs> I'm going to the Lord. and I'm asking him, like, I, I know I'm like not, I'm not in addiction. I'm not running from you. I'm not like in some secret sin. Like, what is going on? So then I start getting anxious, leading into December. Uh, And the pastoral staff could tell you too, even as we planned Accelerate, we would talk about ideas and how are we going to fast and the length of it and what we're going to do in devotions and all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't sticking, wasn't sticking, wasn't sticking. And it wasn't really until the last minute that we got uh, the devotional together. We defined where we were going and so on. So we're up here. I'm up here with a smile on my face. We're excited about Accelerate. We're going to go places and inside. I'm like, where are we going though? Like, I know the Bible says the promised land, but where are we as a, as, as a central family? And I could tell you, I was nervous uh, coming into this year because uh, you, you wanna hear from your pastor. You wanna hear from the leadership team of direction. And I was just seeking the Lord one night and I feel like the Lord just said, enough of this. I want you to take time to grow deeper roots. And I was like, okay, that sounds, that sounds good. I can do that. I can do that. And, you know, I was, just, I was just dialoguing with him and I felt like he just, just brought me to a place of rest where the anxiety, you know, the anxiety, I'm not, I wasn't like super anxious. It was just like, I need, I need to have information. I feel like the Lord's just said, you, you have to take a season through Accelerate while everybody else is writing down their goals of why they're fasting and what they wanna see God do in their life and where they feel like God's taking them. I didn't write any of that down. I was actually encouraging you guys, figure out a reason to fast for. Why, what breakthrough are you looking for? What place are you looking to step into? And for me, I felt like he was having me step back while, while I'm preaching Accelerate. He was having me step back, reevaluate my quiet time with the Lord and just grow deeper, Root system. I wasn't lying to you. I wasn't hiding anything. It was just where he had me for that fast. I felt like he was saying to me, it's time to simplify my walk, my walk with him once again. And it's time to just go back, just go back to simply loving God. I feel like he said, as you're growing deeper root system, those plans, those ideas, the strategies, all that stuff is going to happen how it should have happened and how it's happened throughout this book out of a place of the presence of God. And though our team meetings and our elder meetings and our our whiteboard sessions and our dreaming and our idea sharing, those things are all important. When you look back at scripture, the voice of the Lord came as men and women were in the presence of God of God. So I had to admit to the Lord, like I got this confused for a season, right? I wanted, I wanted all the plans and I wanted all the strategies and he, and he completely reversed it on me. He said, stop going after all of that stuff. So then I, I have to think about this, like with my wife, my children, pastors, elders, direct leaders, there are 19 people that I interact with daily that expect answers Right? So on a daily basis, out of those 19, there could have been 10 of them that I met with and talked to. And in the next three or four days, I'm not saying this is rude, but they want answers. They want direction. And the same is true with you guys. You all have influence in people's lives. And they come to you for counsel and wisdom and, and questions and they want answers. And I'm sitting there in this season thinking, I don't have anybody's answers. And the Lord told me this. You're just going to, you're going to walk through my life for the next eight weeks. Lord told me one time, he said, you've turned your prayer time into a business meeting with me. I was like, oh mess. I did. So my time with the Lord became, and I, I I still honor him again. This isn't like secret sin. I'm not walking away from the Lord. Came into a season where I, like a lot of people need a lot of answers, and the church needs direction. And what's the next sermon series? And what's the next graphic? And what's the next, next, next? So I'd go to the Lord with like all these things. Father, I praise you. I thank you for your presence almost every morning. I thank you that I have breath in my lungs for another day. I thank you that I could partner with you in this entire thing. And then do, 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 do. How long should the fast? This, 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 this. He was like, no more, no more. And it's like, now I'm getting even real nervous because all of these points I still need to answer. And he's saying, set those aside. Like you're coming to me with an agenda. This isn't your Tuesday morning pastor's meeting. In fact, they would probably appreciate no agenda sometimes too. (laughs) So it's like, I don't know since that time, the beginning, it was probably the second or third day of the fast, he told me, "I grow a deeper root system, You've turned, you've turned these prayer, me- you've, prayer You've turned my ty- your time with me into a business meeting. You got to get rid of the agenda. So it's like, as I'm redesigning my time with the Lord and just listening to worship music, just reading about His glory, reading about who He is and not asking him any questions, it's been so much fun of like, okay, now I'm not not on a timeline with God. And somehow I believe it's gonna work with my family, the church, the leadership, the pastors, the elders, that the Lord's somehow going to work out that timeline. Because his kingdom operates completely different than the world operates. Like in the world, when you need answers, when you need favor, when you need strategy, you do everything that you can. You position yourself, you write your resume a certain way, you talk to the right people, you even pay people sometimes. You do what you have to do to have your voice, voice be heard because you need answers. That's the way the world works. And in the kingdom, you need all these answers and all these strategies and all this wisdom and all these, all, all these decisions to be made, and you go at it completely opposite. You go at it through relationship. Right? We don't go to God just for answers and blessings and breakthrough and provision and all these things. We primarily are supposed to spend our time with Jesus for relationship. And it's wild because scripture says that he knows what we need before we ask. So if we're actually interested in relationship for the sake of relationship, like God, I have an hour with you, I have an hour and a half with you, or maybe some of you, I have five minutes with you before I get to work. I don't even wanna put a timeline on it. It's just, I'm with you right now. The primary purpose, he's just reminding me once again, the primary purpose is relationship. I've never sat with one of my kids when they were younger, you know, put them on my lap and read a book or just hold them. I've never once like, held them and know that they've needed something or needed wisdom and then not share what I knew that they needed with them. Does this make sense? God's not going to say, wow, I love this moment of time that we've just spent together. But you didn't ask that question, so I'm not giving you the answer. I don't think that's our God. I believe he's saying, wow, you came to me with no agenda. Your heart was connected to my heart. You looked into my eyes as I was looking back at you. You connected with me. You allowed my love to permeate and saturate your heart just a little bit more today. Let me tell you a secret. This is coming up in your life. This is what you're to do. It's all within the intimacy of that. I've preached on this like several times throughout my ministry. The Lord's like taking me back to Matthew 6:33, seek first, seek first, seek first what? His kingdom. His righteousness. All these things are going to be taken care of. So I'm wired to have all of my plans in order and know where I'm going and know what I'm doing. And the Lord's saying not in this season. He's taking me back to the simplicity of just spending time with him and loving him. So I'm like, okay, this is gonna be a very cool ride privately and I'm reading some books on it and devotionals and spending, spending time just more in worship with him and so on. And then he's like, no, go ahead and share it with the church. I'm, like, I'm not where I wanna be yet. So I, I honestly feel like over these eight weeks, you're just gonna go on a journey with what the Lord's teaching me about returning to the simplicity of learning how to live a hidden life. The hidden life, the secret place. What is below the surface in your life that is building the firm foundation? What's below the surface in your life that's actually allowing those roots to thread throughout all of the soil that the Lord's put in your life? What's below the surface in your life, that well that has been dug for the living water to come bursting forth from? I'm thinking like, okay, God, this is like really bad timing. We just finished a series on accelerate, moving forward, making progress, breakthrough, promised land, blessing, provision, all this stuff. And now for the next eight weeks, we're going to hold that reality in the tension of sit, rest, do nothing. Do nothing but turn your affections toward him you know i don't know if any of you else are sick of this but i i am sick of taking three steps forward with the lord and then two three four months later you feel like you're four steps backward i don't want the fast of january 2019 to be a blip on the map a year from now wow god spoke to me then he did some cool things then where is it now i have no clue it's it's back in 2019 So I feel like if we don't get our root system right, if we don't get our foundation right, if we don't get that well overflowing, we'll lose all of the momentum. We'll lose the acceleration. And I'm sick of that. I don't wanna talk about moving forward and onward and upward if we're gonna lose what he's giving us. So thinking we use words like revival and harvest and all these religious terms. It won't come. He won't come in the measure that he wants to unless this group, this body called Central Assembly of God, each individually and then corporately have a deep root system. So instead of thinking about all the things that happen on the stage or outward, and we talk about it and we won't stop talking about it. We'll talk about praying for the sick and witnessing and all those things that are demonstrating the love of God. Those, it's gonna be wasted fruit that does not remain if we don't have a solid, firm foundation. So I know the Lord's talking to me in, in great seriousness with this, and I'm gonna to talk to you in great seriousness. Because we can see, listen, the, the biggest thing, that, the, the biggest mistake we could do is say, well, I can't wait until the next fast. I can't wait until the next guest speaker I can't wait. Oh man, raise a hallelujah. Lights turn down, that song comes on, goosebumps, I'm gonna start jumping up. That's the biggest mistake we can make is to have to wait for those moments to happen. Somebody else come and impart something to you. Adam leads you in a song. The kingdom's not designed that way. Yes, the word will be preached out loud. Externally will come in. People will minister to you, encourage you. But in the kingdom, there's an internal operating system called the presence of the Holy Spirit that is supposed to be a self-feeding process. That the people that come here, the songs we sing, the messages you hear, the people encouraging you, the friendships you had, those are all added on. But it starts with your relationship through your internal operating system called the Holy Spirit. Time with him. Time well spent with the lover of your soul. God is not my business partner. He's the lover of my soul. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my Father. He's the eternal King. He's my final judge. I will have to stand before him. But ultimately, the reason why he's all of those things is because he's the lover of my soul. So for me to go and make him, ask him to be my business partner is a complete waste of everything that he's done for us. Please, Lord, just check these things off my list. I have a very busy day and I only have 10 minutes. Maybe if you spend those 10 minutes just resting in his presence, thinking about his glory, thinking about how good he is, telling him how much you love him, and if you can't, if those words, sometimes I didn't always connect with that either. Like I'm telling this God that I can't see that I love him. It just doesn't feel right. Then start with him loving you. Father, I thank you so much that you loved me. I thank you so much that you sent my son. Right? We talk, we talk about the cross and Jesus, all this stuff. It's, it, it becomes religious jargon to so many of us. Like think about when a couple starts to date, okay? The reason why they spend a lot of time together is because they see hope in a future, right? Like if they got on each other's nerves or like one of, the couple, one of the people in the couple annoyed the other person, how many of you know person number two does not want to spend time with them? Shake your head yes. <laughs> appease me, please. <laughs> so the reason why they spend more time with one another, trusting one another, being more intimate together is because they see a hope in the future. And somehow we've lost that here. We've lost the simplicity of, wow, my sins are completely forgiven. I woke up a saint and didn't have to do a thing about it. I woke up and the Lord looks at me as completely perfect because of the blood of Jesus. And because of that, I actually do have a real hope in a place called the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth that will be perfection. His his glory, I just read it this morning again. No moon, no sun, no lights needed. The glory of God is going to permeate the entire place. And it says, and the light will shine from the lamb. My boys and I, and I think maybe Isabella was a part of the conversation. We still can't figure out how there's not gonna be any shadows. (laughs) How did there no shadow? Like his light's really bright, but it's everywhere. The absence of evil, death and hell, Hades all thrown into the lake of fire. You think your prayer life is boring? You struggle to talk to God? Take like the rest of 2019 with that one idea. I did nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it, and Father, you loved me so much that you sent your son. And because of his blood, come on, because of his blood was shed in his resurrection, I have hope that when this life is over, I will be with him for all eternity. No more sickness, pain, tear, crying, shame, more alienation, no more isolation just his glory. That could be a game changer. Could be a game changer. So the Lord took me to Revelation chapter two. If you've been in the church long enough, you've heard it preached in this fashion, but it's just good to return to the simplicity of loving God once again. There was extreme persecution happening in the church at the time the book of Revelation was written. John the apostle was actually exiled for preaching the gospel. He was exiled to a small island called Patmos. He's caught up in the spirit. So theologians think differently about it. Some think it was a vision. Some think he actually you know, went there, was transported there in his spirit. Some thinks it was a trance, a dream, whatever. He had a major encounter with the Lord. And in one of the instructions, the Lord said to write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now, the seven churches were the churches of the in the province of Asia. John explains, his voice was Jesus. And he begins to explain again. If you, have, if you feel like your prayer life is stuck and your time with the Lord is stuck, just read through Revelation 1 and into Revelation 2. It talks about Jesus' eyes blazing like fire, his feet like glowing bronze, his voice sounded like rushing waters, his face was shining like the sun. He goes on to say that he was standing among, among seven golden lampstands, which represents the seven churches that he's about to write these letters to. It also says that Jesus was holding seven stars, which most likely represent messengers to the churches. A lot of your translations say uh, angels, right to the seven angels. But uh, a lot of theologians believe it was messengers because they are being corrected in certain areas. And he's not correcting angels through a man's writing. Ephesus was the capital of Asia Minor. It was home of a temple to a false goddess named Artemis. This was one of the wonders of the world back then. So Ephesus had a huge manufacturing business of false idols. They would develop these things and the people of Ephesus would worship and this entire region would worship this false goddess. There were also people coming into this area claiming to be false apostles, teaching a different gospel. And the church in Ephesus was doing a really good job. They weren't letting the idol worship happen. They weren't letting the false apostles come in and preach but the Lord wanted John to correct them in one area. It says in Revelation chapter two, verse one, the angel of the church of Ephesus writes this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. How would you love the Lord to write you a letter like this through another man or a woman? Like, I'm so proud of you. You, de, you detest evil. You're identifying the false teachers. You're working hard. You're persevering. That's awesome. I'm like, yes, God, you know, I'd be so excited at that moment. And then verse 4 comes. Yet I hold I am so thankful that the Lord's honest with us in our mistakes and our weaknesses and our failures. He doesn't just pat us on the back. He'll bring correction through the word of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit, another voice in your life. Yet I hold this against you. It says, He, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Many of your Bibles will say you have forsaken your first love. Then he gives them instruction, like not just, hey, I'm sorry. It says, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. So they're commended, for working hard, patiently enduring, not tolerating evil, opposing false apostles, suffering without quitting. Like think about this, their church is growing, their church is strong, they're doing good things, their services are probably rocking with the presence of God. All this good stuff is happening. And yet somehow they got away from the practice of their first love with the Father, which then affected their love toward each other. So their church became known more for what they were against than what they were for. I can picture in the religiosity of their good works, them starting to hold up the, uh, the posters on the, on the roadways, turn or burn. God hates this person and God hates that person. You get so caught up in religious activity and doing good, they actually lost the simplicity of loving God. In Ephesians, the church of Ephesus was commended for their love for one another. And yet now that is waning also. This is the part like where it hits me really hard as a pastor of a church and it should hit you hard as a a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. It's like we can be doing all of the right things and all of the good things and our church can be growing, have all of the wonderful ministries and sign-ups, and we can put statistics of, this was the largest event ever, all this good stuff. And I tell you the truth, it will all be lost if we do not have a root system. It'll all be a statistic of a year that has passed by, still waiting for God to show up sovereignly. He's saying, I am showing up sovereignly every single morning. When you open your eyes and you take a deep breath, I'm here, I've showed up. What are you going to do with me? So should we stop doing good? No. Should we stop having ministries? Should you stop witnessing and caring for people? Should you stop uh, helping out the single mom on your road or the widow? Absolutely not. What he's saying is this. Repent. Repent. And return back to your first love. Return back to where it used to be. I mentioned the couple before. We've seen this time and time again a marriage, uh, you know, when a couple is dating and then now they're engaged and now they're married, all ooey gooey and gushy and all. And then, you know, after they've been married for 15, 20, 30 years, I don't know, maybe we should set the example of the church that we can actually still be like that after all these years. Oh no, they've been married for a long time. they figured all that stuff out. But we do that with the Lord, right? If you came into the kingdom radically, man, you might be witnessing, spending hours a day in scripture and doing all of these things. But you know, life gets busy. Now I have this platform and now I have that platform. Now I have this opportunity and now I'm going these places. You're going all these places without him. Without ever digging down and allowing those roots to grow deep. I'm concerned about it. I'm not, saying it's a, I'm not saying it's a rampant issue. I'm saying I'm concerned about it enough in my life that I'm going to take the time to grow the roots. Like no matter what age you are, if you start thinking about finishing well, finishing your race well, like this is even awesome teenagers. If, you're, if you can already picture yourself, uh, I don't know, 80, 85, 90 years old, right before going to the Lord, and you picture yourself finishing well, That's gonna determine how deep you allow your roots to grow now. No matter where we are, today's a new opportunity to grow those roots. So he's instructing us to repent and do the things that we first did. And I don't think he was talking about starting another soup kitchen or starting another ministry. I think he was talking about receiving love. Receiving his love. Repent means to change the way you think, means to turn away from and go towards something else. So for me, like this is gonna be a process. I have to change the way I think about like my relationship with him. I have to change the way, not just I think, but I have to change the way I do my time with Jesus. I have to change the way my life looks below the surface when nobody else is looking, right? We have to be content being in the cave with the Lord alone as long as he wants you to without worrying about a place of influence. In 1 John, it says that we loved because he first loved us. And I believe that there are some people here that you might be saying, you might be thinking to yourself, I don't know if I can return back to my first love. I'm not sure I was ever passionate about him in the first place. Like maybe you just were, were raised in the church and you know, just never really fell in love with the father. I believe it's hidden in this verse. We love because he first loved us. I believe the Lord wants to take at least several of you in this church through a season of not thinking, I have to go after him and I have to tell him how I feel and I have to love him. Just rest in all of it and start reading verses like in 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about love. Instead of saying love is patient, love is kind, love is long-suffering, just replace the word God with it. God is patient. Oh, you're patient with me, Lord. God is kind. You're so kind with me. You're long-suffering. You hold no records of wrong. You know the Bible says God is love. Say yes. If you didn't know, I'm telling you the truth. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, where it's saying love, you can actually say, instead of love keeps no records of wrong, you can just replace God with that because God is that. So instead of love keeps no records of wrong, God keeps no record of wrong. So you can rest, just take your prayer time tomorrow morning with that, that one verse, that one portion of that verse. God, you keep no record of wrong. So I feel like that is a right now today message for at least several of you in this church is don't worry about what your passion looks like to him. Don't worry about if you can ever say you have a vibrant, alive prayer life or time with him. Stop all of that. Like nobody's keeping score. You're going to face God face to face. Nobody around you is going to be with you. We're not holding our kids' hands at that time. Your small group's not going to be with you. None of the pastors are going to be with you. It's you and him. We have the remainder of our life to receive his love so that we can love because he first loved us. So let's figure out the him loving us part first. How many of you know that takes time? okay, God, I have 30 seconds with you. Tell me how much you love me. Like, that's not going to work. So this actually takes commitment. It takes rearranging your schedule. It takes changing the way you do life, little by little. Please don't do the New Year's resolution thing where you like sign up at three different gyms and you're gonna go one in the morning, one in the middle of the day, and one in the afternoon. Don't do that. Incremental steps. Experiencing the love of God until you are understanding how you love him back, and then that will permeate your life and help you to love other people also. So he goes on to say this, if you don't repent, this is the result. He says, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand. What did the lampstand represent? What's the lamp? It's light. What did Jesus tell us that we are? In Matthew chapter five, verse 14, we are the light of the world. What does a light do? It shines to other people. So when other people see your good works, who do they give glory? They say, wow, you're an awesome guy. You're a wonderful gal. Absolutely not. The Bible says here, it says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. He doesn't want to take our light stand. He doesn't want to remove the light. He doesn't want to snuff anything out. But if we're not growing the root system, if we're not building the foundation, we have nothing left to shine. It's all fleeting. It's all failing. It will look good for a moment and then it'll go away. He says, Neither do people put a light, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, the Lord does not want to remove your lampstand. He's just saying, if you're not stewarding it well, it's not going to remain. People are gonna see you shining and then they're gonna see you filled with something else a week later because there won't be consistency because the root system isn't there. It's like the Lord's like reminding me. So I'll just remind you. The rest of your life depends on what you do in your personal relationship with Jesus. The rest of your life does not depend on if your ministry is successful. The rest of your life doesn't depend on how many Facebook followers you have. The rest of your life doesn't depend on on your your persona, your personality, none of that stuff. The rest of your life depends upon the root system you build with your Lord and Savior, the lover of your soul. In fact, last spring, uh, just a little bit less than a year ago, I saw under my, um, my writing pad on my desk, I was cleaning stuff up, I saw I wrote a note on the, on the agenda for that day that uh, one of the mandates on my life is this, and I wrote it down. The Lord, one of the mandates on, over, the Lord, over my life that the Lord has for me is this one particular thing. And underneath it, I wrote, am I going to steward it well or am I going to squander it? Question mark. Man, the Lord showed perfect timing just this past week. I'm moving stuff around and it's right there. So I don't want my light, I don't want my my lamp, I don't want my candle to be blown out because I'm squandering what the Lord is doing. I don't wanna do good things for him. I wanna start with being with him and receiving his love and let all that other stuff be an overflow. Does that make sense? You can have all the blessings and all the breakthrough, but if you're not with him, it's all wasted in the end. So Sharice and I, we've been married 16 and a half years. Woohoo! We still love each other very much. <clears throat> we actually got to go on a date last night because of the family ministries of Central Assembly of God. Props to Pastor Chris and Ashley. So there were times that Sharice and I did not have much, scraping pennies to get by, uh, hoping for the car to last another month, you know, all that kind of stuff. And when you have a good, close relationship, you can have very, very little and still have more than enough. Does that make sense? Because the relationship is tight, it's close, and so on. But what we've seen over the years, as relationships continue to grow and paychecks go up and so on, that relationships start to go apart. You know what? We might have all the money in the world. Maybe we've been to the funnest, funnest, most fun, Vacations. Going to the best places there are. (laughs) Maybe we have the nicest car in the whole entire neighborhood. But you know what? We could have all the money we could ever want, go on the best vacations, and have the nicest car. But if Sharice and I are this separated, and there's no intimacy, and there's no closeness, and there's division, it's all worthless. So you go ahead and take your spiritual success and the good works that you do and all the things that are on your checklist, but you first make sure that you're close and you're intimate with the Father. Make sure you're not going to say at the end of your life, he provided for me all this, the blessings, the have pro- been living in the promised land and he's like, where are you? I don't want that. I don't want to accelerate without him. I don't want momentum without him. I want it all with him to be close with him and intimate and have a true vibrant, personal relationship with Jesus. I just want us to return back to the simplicity of when we first found Jesus and we're like, this is awesome. You really forgave all my sins. Or maybe it was after you were born again, but it was the moment you realized you're not a sinner saved by grace, that you're actually a saint now. Because we say that stuff in church, I'm just a sinner saved by, by grace. No, you're not. You're saying something that's opposite that the word says. The word actually says you're a saint. Or maybe it's the moment that you learn that God's not mad at you when you mess up, that his forgiveness continues to pour over you and pour over you. And what you're supposed to do is confess and repent and turn back. He's not pushing you away when you mess up. He's not running away from you when you run away from him. He's chasing after you, singing over you speaking over you, declaring over you. Love never fails. So if we're far from God, if we feel distant from God, it's on our end. You know what? We don't have to feel bad about it. We don't have to feel guilty and shame-filled. We just have to turn around. We just have to turn back to him. Being born again does not exclude you from being bound by something else. If that makes sense. Like you could be born again. You could be in the promised land. In fact, I'll read these few verses here. In, uh, in Jeremiah, he's referring back to uh, when Egypt was delivered. It says, this is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness. Come on. This is, the, this is God speaking to them. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me. You followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. In verse 5 it says, what fault did your ancestors find in me, that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. What happened? What happened? Their candles got snuffed out. It says, they did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through the land of deserts and ra- ra- ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? When I found this verse, I'm like, this is why we're doing this series after Accelerate. Because we have to realize the promised land is ours. It is our inheritance. It is his will for us to be healthy. It is his will for us to be provided for. It is his will for us to do good works and for people to see those good works and to let our light shine so others give glory to the Father. It's his will for all of that stuff. Just like it was his will for Israel to cross over the desert and yet they still strayed away from him. They forgot their first love. They just forgot their first love. So I was thinking about how do we return to the simplicity of loving God? How do we return to this first love? First, sometime this week, if you will please do this. I, I know as soon as, as soon as service is over, we just go off in our week. I want you to do this. Sometime this week, I want you to get a blank piece of paper and I want you to ask the Lord, do you love me? I would say, Father, I consecrate my mind to you now. I ask that you don't let any voices that are not yours enter into my mind. And I ask you a simple question. Do you love me? I want you to write the answer down. I'm gonna give you a hint. If you write no down, it's opposite of what the Bible says, so you're hearing the wrong voice. So wait until you hear yes. See, this is like a really easy test. (laughs) Then I want you to ask the Lord, what what would you like to say about your love for me? I did this the other day. I didn't write it down. I just did this and I was, I was asking the Lord what to talk about in my own private time. Some of the things that he said to me, I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. If you wanna test yourself so to make sure you're not hearing a wrong voice or it's not just yourself, test it against the word of God. Right? So if you're hearing things and you're writing things down, you're like, ah, I'm not sure because he said he liked to have fun with me. And he said this and this and this. Test it against the word. See if it's opposed to the word. The worst that could happen is it could be a good, godly, word-based thought that came from your own soul. But once you find it in the word, now you can attach the truth and say, God, you're saying that about me? Are you following me? And if it is the Lord and it's, in, it's going to be in his word or it's not gonna be opposed to his word, then you're learning about his thoughts and his affections, his love and his commitment to you blank sheet of paper. Lord, do you love me? Yes or no? You can put a little checkbox like in middle school, fold it up, hand it to him, say if he checks yes or no. Do you like me? Just ask him, what do you want to say? What would you like to say about your love for me? Second thing I think we can do is to forgive people who have hurt you. It is so difficult So difficult to be in right relationship with him and to have intimacy uh, with him, to have that closeness with him when you want him to punish somebody else for something they did to you. Because you're saying, be the lover of my soul and be their judge. Love me, ravish your love upon me, pour out your love upon me, but get them for what they did. Do you see how that relationship can be quite difficult, a twisted, tangled? So I would ask the Lord after he, After you ask him if he loves you, I would say, who who am I harboring anger against? Is there anybody I need to forgive? And just let it off your chest. Third is we could simplify our approach with Jesus. We could simplify our lives just a little bit. We could change our schedule just a little bit. Just simplify your approach with him. We've overcomplicated this thing. Even this whole thing called church, we've, we've overcomplicated this. He loves us, we love him. And because we know he loves us, we love others. Did I just complicate that? Fourth is actually scheduled time. If you don't have any time with the Lord right now, do 10, 15 minutes. I know people will say, listen, Jesus' followers spend an hour with him. He says, can you not tear at least one hour? I get that. I hate to even put time limits on it. Some of you might spend your time. Uh, I love, I was reading a book about, uh, about intercession one time. And the mom says, you know when I did my interceding, you know when I did my prayer time? was when I was washing dishes. Because if I would sit down when my kids were actually in bed, I would fall right asleep. So can you be freed from all the religious things that we think it needs to look like? Like on your knees by your bed with soft music playing and the glory cloud above you? It doesn't need to look like that. It could be while you're washing dishes. It could be while you're driving to work. This is a relationship. It's not a business meeting. It's not an appointment. It's a relationship. So if you have a relationship with a friend or a spouse or a child, you don't always have to make it look the same way. Today, we're going to look at page three and we're going to go through, I checked my box, thank you, next. We don't do that. We have to just go back to the simplicity of what a real relationship looks like with the lover of our soul. And finally is if you have never surrendered your life to him and you don't even know what it looks like to have a first love, you need to do that today. You need to do it before we leave here today. What I wanna do is just give us an opportunity to just turn back to our first love, to just reconnect with our first love. I was thinking about this altar space here. I don't ever want you to think that people that are coming up here have something wrong with them. It doesn't mean they've done something wrong. When people step to this altar, it means they're doing something right. Like what is it your business where they've been? Celebrate them and pray for them when they walk up here. So you don't ever have to think it's 1134. Now now we're just starting the altar call. I don't want to come forward. That's okay. Anybody that walks up here, you could say, man, they're doing something right. They're taking a step closer to Jesus. I don't even know their name, but that guy in the blue shirt, I pray for him. I ask that you would, you know, encounter him with your love, show him something new about yourself. You see how you can stay engaged in these moments? So I do, I just want us to stand at this time. Maybe the Lord's telling you to just stand there in his presence. Maybe the Lord's telling you to grab your Bible and read a verse that was really alive in you when you first came to Jesus. Maybe the Lord's telling you just to come to the altar and just rest in his presence for a moment. Maybe Lord will have you sit back down, even though I had you stand back up and just sit there and rest in him. But I asked Adam just to sing a song. There's not gonna be words up there because I don't want you to connect with the words. I want you to connect with the lover of your soul. We're just gonna let, let the Lord do what he wants in your life. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, myself, Vicki, if you're brand new here, at least you know two of the pastors. You know my wife. Come to us after service and let us know you want to start over with Jesus. This is rest in his presence. You are more than welcome to come forward, to sit, to walk, whatever you feel comfortable doing. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.